The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. Should I pursue traditional publishing for this book? This is one of the most common questions writers ask, and the answer is almost always it depends. So what does it depend on? That and more is what I'm going to discuss in this episode of the Christian Publishing Show as we go into the pros and cons of traditional publishing. But first, I wanted to give a quick personal update. Uh, I had a, a mental breakdown, I guess you could say, a couple of weeks ago, and I realized that I was overcommitted. I had over 20 different jobs, uh, roles, titles, and responsibilities. And I was going from thing to thing, and it was literally uh, driving me nuts. <laughs> so uh, in order to preserve my health, I started paring down a lot of my uh, responsibilities and focusing on uh, the core things, the core things that uh, give me life. And uh, I want to have enough energy left over at the end of the day to be able to enjoy my little baby daughter uh, and my wife and be a good husband and father. Uh, So one of the things that I'm stepping away from is being a literary agent. But don't worry, this podcast is not going away, but I'm going to be doing this podcast through one of my many other titles that I'm not getting rid of uh, as the vice president of the Christian Writers Institute. So it will keep uh, syndicating onto the Steve Lobby blog. We're still doing this podcast in partnership with the Steve Lobby Agency. Uh, Steve Lobby also has many titles, so he's also he's the president of the Christian uh, Writers Institute. But uh, you may see some announcements of other things that I'm stepping away from uh, in the coming weeks and months. I just wanted to be uh, very transparent uh, as to why that is. I, you know, somebody asked me, you know, how do you do everything that you do? You know, you're a literary agent, you run author media, you are the, you know, doing the Christian Writers Institute, you've got all of these podcasts, and I almost emailed her back, I do it all by failing at everything. <laughs> so um, I, I want to uh, do a better job at fewer things, and so I am uh, refocusing my life on the teaching elements. So the podcasting, the institute, that sort of thing, the things where I'm teaching, uh, that's what's the the most uh, life-giving to me. So I know people don't like it when podcasters go on about their personal lives, and I've tried not to make this podcast uh, too much about me, but I thought as listeners, as loyal listeners, you deserve uh, to know what's going on. So with that out of the way, let's get into the pros and cons of traditional publishing. So what are the pros of traditional publishing? Why do authors pick traditional publishing as an option. And not just the first time, but authors who are successful at traditional publishing keep coming back over and over again. Well, the first pro is that the publisher edits, packages, and markets the book. So a lot of the heavy lifting around writing the book um, when it comes to finding a good editor, finding a cover designer, finding an interior designer, uh, having marketing people and a publicity team, the traditional publisher does all of those things, and uh, pays for all of those things. Now, the second advantage is that uh, there are gatekeepers in traditional publishing. Now, you may be like, wait a minute. I thought a gate- the presence of gatekeepers is a downside. And you are right. Gatekeepers are also a downside, but they're also an upside. So how is it that a gatekeeper uh, helps you 
Well, gatekeepers like literary agents and editors help protect your reputation because they're not going to put out something that they aren't willing to also stake their reputation on. So they're looking out for you in that sense. Some authors don't have good perspective on the quality of their own writing. You've probably met some writers like this. Uh, as my co-host on the my other podcast, Novel Marketing, likes to say, it's hard to read the label when you're standing inside of the bottle. And some authors have terrible perspective on their writing. Some think their writing is terrible when in reality their writing is excellent. And other people think their writing is excellent when in reality it is terrible. What gatekeepers bring to you is a unbiased third-party opinion. A stranger editor and a literary agent who doesn't know you uh, has no stake in maintaining your friendship. They're not married to you. They're not a part of your family. And so they only have a loyalty to the truth, right? They're not going to tell you your book is excellent when it really needs some work. And so those gatekeepers are valuable to protecting your reputation uh, when it comes to not putting out something that will embarrass you. Because once a book is out there, it's almost impossible to get it back, especially those paper copies. Uh, you can't get the paper copies back, right? Um, George Lucas c- created the, you know, the Star Wars trilogy, which were excellent. And he did the prequels, which I think were excellent as well. I'm a fan of the prequels. But he also did the Star Wars Christmas special, which is terrible it is it is so bad it's not good it's so bad it's just really really awful and he has tried to destroy all copies of that star wars movie and you can't buy it anywhere there's no legitimate copies and yet it still persists and so if only a gatekeeper had told him george this wasn't good enough and the same thing happens of course in publishing Uh, The next advantage are really the three advantages. And when somebody asks me why traditional publishing, these are the three things I always kind of rattle off, bing, bing, bing. Uh, And those are the three C's. These are the three C's that traditional publishers bring to the table. And the first is capital. Uh, The business model of traditional publishing is very similar to the business model of venture capitalists, like the kind that uh, give money uh, or invest money and uh, Silicon Valley startup companies. So the idea with venture capitalists is that they invest in 10 companies and they're expecting seven or eight of those companies to fail. And then of the surviving, let's say, three companies, they're expecting two of those companies to break even and one of those companies to be the next Facebook and be worth a billion dollars and bring in enough money to cover the seven companies that failed. That That's the business model. And it Believe it or not, in, in venture capital works, or it has worked uh, consistently, or relatively consistently, for the last seven years or uh, thirty years, let's say, because there have been Facebooks and Ubers and Dropboxes and companies that become worth a billion dollars. That little bit of investment makes a lot of money back. It's the same in traditional publishing. Most of the costs of Publishing a book, paying the editor, paying for the cover design, paying for the interior design of the book, those are all one-time costs and don't vary much based off of how many copies are sold. So if you spend $1,000 on the cover of your book and you sell 1,000 books, the cost of the cover on a per-book basis is $1. 
But if you sell, or if you spend $1,000 on your cover and you sell 10,000 books, the cost of the cover on a per book basis is only 10 cents. And so having a bestseller is incredibly lucrative for publishing companies. That's where they really make their money. They don't make their money with base hits. They make their money with home runs. And they are every time they step up to the plate with an author, they're hoping for a home run. Because if they can get a book to sell 100,000 copies, uh, they are going to make an incredible amount of money because of how the economics work. It's a very high-risk business because you spend all of that fixed cost, and if you don't sell enough copies of, of the book, you don't get that money back and you lose money on the book. And uh, it's not quite as extreme in traditional publishing. I think traditional publishers only lose money on maybe four to five out of 10 books that they publish, and then they break even on, on more of them. Uh, so if, if we're to compare it with venture capital, if venture capitalists are expecting to lose money on seven of the books or seven of the businesses they back, uh, I think most publishers are expecting to lose money on perhaps five of 10 books, uh, about half. And then they're expecting another two or three to be kind of base hits. They made their money back and maybe a little bit more, and then they're hoping for one uh, home run out of 10. Uh, and, and some publishers do better, some publishers do worse, and, and different publishers ha- have different models on, on how they do that. Some There are some really small publishers that, you know, they're bunters, right? They don't, all they're hoping to do is get to first base, and they spend hardly any money, and it's a very different strategy. Um, but in general, uh, that is what I've observed. And they bring that capital, that money, to the table. And it costs... Uh, when a traditional publisher publishes a book, it's not uncommon for them to invest ten thousand to thirty thousand dollars into the book between the advance to the author and the various professionals and the various overhead of the publishing company that that book has to carry. Again, this varies by publisher. So bigger publishers have more overhead that each book has to carry and more cost, and they expect they need that book to sell more copies to be worth it for them. And smaller publishers don't need to sell as many copies uh, for the book to be worth it. But it's still a significant advance uh, investment. Even a small publisher is expecting to spend $5,000 plus publishing the book. So that's the first C, capital. The second C is credibility. Now, this credibility is not with readers for the most part. Most readers are not aware of whether a book is traditionally published or independently published unless it's independently published very poorly. Uh, And there are some things that are kind of dead giveaways of an independently published book, and we'll talk about that in another episode. But if if you are investing decent money in the cover and the interior design and the editing, uh, readers will not be aware that your book was... uh, independently published. So who is this credibility with? Well, the credibility is with everyone else in the industry who is very familiar with the difference between Harvest House and Thomas Nelson. So bookstore owners, uh, award committees, um, people like that. And that credibility can, and also with like journalists and media outlets. So bigger media outlets will have reputations with bigger publishers where, you know, they're on a first name basis. The PR person at big publisher A is on a first name basis with the producer for TV station B. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, this I think this book would be a good fit for your TV show, such and such TV show. And they get them on. Uh, that's the kind of credibility I'm talking about. It's not credibility with readers. And a lot of indies are like, I don't need that credibility. You know, no reader really pays attention to the publisher. And they're right. 
They are absolutely right when it comes to readers, but they're not right when it comes to everyone else. Also, librarians uh, are uh, familiar with who the publishers are and, and the reputations of those publishers. So we talked about capital. We talked about credibility. The third advantage of the third thing that traditional publishers bring to the table is contacts. And this goes along with credibility. So having that contact of, uh, you know, 100 bloggers that they've built up a stable of who review books. It's the podcasts that they have relationships with, which I've been talking with publishers about how to build networks of podcasters, which I'm very excited about because I really think uh, podcasting is the future and it is a really un, un um, taking advantage of tool in a marketing tool belt of building a network of podcasts uh, to advertise on, but also to have on authors as a guest. So building those networks of contacts, also contacts with bookstores, um, you know, getting making a call and getting your book on a bookstore. Uh, to be uh, in a bookstore, you need to have convinced the actual human at the bookstore to specifically request your book. So it's very easy to be on the bookstore's computer, right? Ingram will do this. Amazon will do this if you're independently published. And you can walk into any Barnes & Noble and order pretty much any independently published book, and they'll have it shipped and they'll sell it to you at full price. Uh, But that's not the same as having it on the shelf. If you're going to have it on the shelf, the bookstore owner needs to have already made that decision. And that means having a personal relationship with that person. This is why traditional publishers have sales teams. The sales teams don't talk to readers. They talk to bookstore owners. And as publishing um, big bookstore chains are breaking up or going away, uh, the need for big sales teams is only increasing because it used to be it was one call to Lifeway. Now it's a dozen calls to smaller regional bookstores and even churches with bookstores in their lobbies. Uh, so those are the three C's, capital, credibility, and contacts. And the other contacts uh, that – and this is an, I, I'll, I'll put this as its own advantage, really, because it's more than just the publisher's contacts. And that is an, a pro of traditional publishing is that you're surrounded by professionals. So you're surrounded by your agent, right? You need an agent if you're going to be traditionally published in 2019 unless you're going with a really small uh, publishing house. Uh, you need an editor, or you're going to have an editor who's a professional editor who's done this before and is surrounded by people who've done this before. Uh, professional cover designer, salespeople like we already talked about, marketing people, PR people. Uh, all of these professionals around you are like a safety net helping make you sure you look good. Uh, and then uh, the next advantage we've already talked about, placement in physical bookstores. Being traditionally published is basically the only way to get into physical bookstores. It, while it is possible and there are strategies for independently published books to get into bookstores, usually those strategies involve spending tens of thousands of dollars on sales, your own sales team. Basically, you have to almost become your own traditional publishing company to get placed with your paper book in a paper bookstore. Um, so this, in some ways, is the number one advantage of traditional publishing is that you get into the bookstore, uh, which for uh, some books is really critical. So let's talk about that. 70% of audiobook sales are fiction, and the majority of ebook sales are fiction. And so for fiction, placement in physical bookstores is less important. The whales, the people who are reading 100 books or more a year, are not reading them in paper for the most part. They are reading books on their electronic devices because it's cheaper and 
if you're buying 100 books a year, that's just a lot of like space in your house. While there's some people who kind of live surrounded by stacks of books, um, a, a lot of those whales have switched to ebooks uh, and audiobooks. And so what that means is that being in present to, to influence the influencers, the paper is not nearly as important. Now, for nonfiction, it's completely the other way. The majority of nonfiction sales in 2019 and all the years before has been and will probably always be paper. Paper is just a better format for nonfiction. You can highlight it. Um, you can remember where something was on the page, which helps the spatial memory, spatial reasoning. Uh, you can skip chapters really easily. You can skim, uh, which is a thing that a lot of people do with nonfiction. They don't read every word. They kind of skim and they dart around the book. And skimming is very hard to do on an ebook, and it's basically impossible on an audiobook. I, I, I don't know how to do it, and I don't know anyone who does it. And I've read over 500 audiobooks. So um, for nonfiction, uh, paper is still very important. You can be successful with indie paper, and I've seen people do uh, indie nonfiction paper. I have an independent nonfiction paper book myself. Uh, so I, it can work, but uh, that placement in the physical bookstores is very important. Um, the next advantage is awards. So most awards are for traditional publishers only, and it's because the traditional publishers pay for the award. So uh, how uh, the top-tier awards tend to work is uh, when uh, a publisher will select their best books, what they feel are their best books, and they pay a fee, a few hundred dollars or more, depending on the award that they're competing for, to submit that book for that award, and only traditional publishers can apply. So a lot of the kind of most credible awards in publishing indies are not eligible for. Now, independent authors have created their own rival award awards, and so there are some awards that indies can win, but those awards are lesser known. And you wouldn't want to put a like badge, you know, indie independent book award, right? Because then that's putting a flag that this is an independently published book, whereas readers may not know otherwise that it was independently published. So, if if going after awards is a part of your strategy, or if that's very important to you, uh, traditional publishing is really the only way uh, to do it. And then the final pro, traditional publishing, is Matthew Principle-based marketing investments. What is the Matthew Principle? Uh, this is a fun business principle because it's actually based off of a passage from the book of Matthew in the Bible. And this is, you can Google it, it's the sort of like mainstream business principle from the Bible. And it's based off of the parable of the talents. Uh, Jesus told several different versions of this parable, and, and you're familiar with it. It's the one where, you know, one servant has five talents, one servant has three talents, one servant has one talent. The one with five gets five more, the one with three gets three more, and the one with one buried it in the ground. And then when the master came back, he took the one away from the guy who buried it in the ground and gave it to the guy who had the five talents. And the moral of the parable is, to him who has, more will be given, but to him who does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. And this is the strategy that traditional publishers use with marketing investments. They spend the money on the most successful books that they have, the books that readers are the easiest to convince to read. And they take money away from their worst performing books. And so if you're in a publisher and there are other books that that publisher has that are easier to sell than your book or are selling more copies than your book, that publisher is going to take your marketing money away and spend it on those books. Conversely, if you have a really popular book and you've got one of the most popular books that the publisher has, 
the publisher is going to take money away from other books and spend it on your book. And as a marketing director, I saw the math for why this worked. So our best book, when I would spend $100 on advertising that book, it would bring back $300 in return. For our number two book, and I'm, I'm kind of fudging the numbers here to make a point. For the number two book, I'd spend $100 and bring back $200 in return. So 50% less of a return, but still a good return. For our worst performing book, I would spend $100 on that book and I would get $10 back or maybe $0 back. So I wouldn't, after I spent that first 100 and got nothing back, I wouldn't want to spend another 100 on that book. And so I would want to take that money and spend it on the number one book. And a lot of people are like, this isn't fair. And I'm like, take it up with Jesus. He's the one who gave us this principle. And it is the principle for being successful in business and, and for maximizing the number of books that sell. You want to sell the books that resonate with readers. So this is both an advantage and a disadvantage. So let's go to the cons of traditional publishing. And the cons, the first one is Matthew Principle-based marketing investment. So if you're not in the top echelon of books with a traditional publisher, they will, after the first week or two when they realize that you're not in the top echelon, or maybe after the first 30 days, they're going to drop your book and move on to the next book. Your, your book is going to get flagged as one of the books that is losing money, one of the bottom five that I talked about earlier. And they're not going to touch it, and they're going to move on, and they're going to invest in the books that are hot. Uh, so if you're concerned about the resonance your book is going to have in the market, just realize you may have a very short window of traditional publishing exposure because the bookstore is the same way. Um, they will only carry a new book for 30 days, a new book. And if it's not selling for those first 30 days, they actually return it to the publisher and they don't even pay for it. So you may, you know, authors sometimes like, oh, I had 5,000 books that were shipped out you know, in the first two days of my book being released. And then a month later, they realized 3,000 of those books were returned. And now the publisher has a stack of books that uh, bookstores have returned. They're not going to order more if they return the ones they had. And often for that bottom half of books, the books that are printed end up getting pulped sometimes <laughs> and made into other different books that will sell to readers. It's, it's kind of a vicious market uh, where the, the, those who have are given more and those who do not have, even what they do have is taken away. Now, the second con of traditional publishing uh, goes right along with one of the pros. It's gatekeepers. You cannot say yes to yourself in traditional publishing. If the gatekeepers say no for whatever reason, you cannot be published. And a great example of this is Mary DeMuth. I, as an author, published dozens of books. I've, I've worked with her on a bunch of different projects. And four or five years ago, she wanted to write a book about overcoming sexual abuse. And she took it to her publisher. They said no. She took it to her other publisher. They said no. She then took it to, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen publishers, some of which she'd worked with before. Remember, this is a multi-published author, one with dozens of books on the bookshelves, and no one would publish it because they're like, no, there's no market for a book about, for women overcoming sexual abuse. That was the belief back, if, can you, if you can believe it, six years ago. Uh, of course, this was before uh, Me Too. And, and, you know, the fact that you know, in the statistics that she would quote to them, they wouldn't believe her. Uh, and so what she did is she went around traditional publishing and she said yes to herself. She put her book uh, on Indiegogo, asked her fans to fund it. 
and she raised uh, she was trying to raise ten thousand dollars so that she could have the kind of budget to hire all the same people that would have worked on it if it had been traditionally published. And her fans didn't raise $10,000. They raised $25,000, allowing her to even make it into an audiobook. And so you can now find her book, Not Marked, on any bookstore. You go, you go uh, it'll either be on the computer or it'll be on the shelf. Uh, you can see it. It actually probably won't be on the shelf because it's independently published. Uh, but you can definitely find it on Amazon. You can also find uh, the ebook. And now, you know, that Me Too is coming out, she is, you know, doing a Me Too book called We Too. It's going to come out um, very soon. And it's good that it's coming out. But this is the downside of gatekeepers. Uh, gatekeepers are sometimes blind to trends in the market, right? If, if any of those publishers had said yes to a book overcoming sexual abuse, you know, back in 2012 or 2014, whenever her book came out, they'd have been very well positioned going into uh, the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the Church 2 scandal. And, and so this is a downside of gatekeepers. And as somebody who used to be a gatekeeper myself, it's hard to see the future, right? Like we're risking very real money. If, if gatekeepers at publishers, the editors and agents, if they make bad calls, they lose their job, right? Like that's really scary. And it's it's difficult to know when a book is going to be successful and when a book is not going to be successful. And every agent and editor you talk to will tell you stories of some incredibly successful book that they said no to, right? Uh, Harry Potter was turned down by dozens or maybe over a hundred different publishers all of whom are kicking themselves right now. But who would have guessed that a movie about a wizard going to boarding school was going to, or a book about a wizard going to boarding school was going to be so successful? And uh, at the time, it was really hard to see. Uh, so gatekeepers, uh, preventing you from being published is a con. It, it's a pro in that they protect your reputation, but it's also a con in that if they say no, that's it. And there's literally nothing you can do when it comes to becoming traditionally published. You have to get a gatekeeper to say yes. Uh, another con of traditional publishing is that you make between 80 cents and a dollar per book, depending on various factors, like how much um, you make per book. Uh, it depends on a lot of different factors, but it's typically in that range. Uh, and, and it could be nice to just assume that it's a dollar for the purpose of math. So you send sell 10,000 books, you make $10,000. If you write a book a year, you're making $10,000 a year. So on a per book basis, the numbers are not very good. Uh, you have to sell a lot of books. Now, you sell a million books, it's a million dollars, right? So uh, when, uh, when it comes to selling lots of books, the numbers get even better. And often you'll make it more than a dollar per book as you hit various sales thresholds. Uh, so depending on the contract, and this isn't a contract episode, uh, but some contracts uh, give the author more as more books are sold because there's more money to go around. Those initial upfront fixed costs have been covered, so the margins of the publisher get better and they share those margins with the author. Uh, another downside is that you lack control. So all of those professionals that we talked about in the advantages have a say, <laughs> which means you have less say because of those professionals. So this, again, is a pro and a con. Um, it's a con if you have really good marketing instincts and you have a really good design sense and you've been like trained, like you went to design school in college and you have a you understand this from a professional perspective. Uh, it's a, it's a con because your input is not seen as as important because these other professionals have been to school, they have studied this, and they do know what they're talking about. 
It's a pro, though, if you think you understand it and you don't. <laughs> so a lot of authors overestimate their own ability to understand design. Uh, this is one of the things I've noticed over my 10 years of being in this industry, doing websites for authors and helping authors with book covers. Uh, they're, uh, it's, it's very interesting because you'd think as artists, they would appreciate how hard it is to learn a, a field of art. And learning design is just as difficult and becoming a good designer is just as hard as becoming a good author. It's the sort of thing people study for four years in design school and still have a lot to learn when they get out of design school. And if you have not studied it, if you've never read a book on design in your life, the fact that you lack control over your book cover is actually a good thing <laughs> because you don't and you you know what you like, but you don't necessarily know what works when it comes to getting your book to sell into the market. And that's the purpose of a book cover. It's not to be a pretty painting that you hang on the wall. It is a persuasive case for somebody on why they should buy your book. And a good cover makes somebody say, please, yes, please and thank you. I want to buy this book right away. And if you hate the book cover and it does that, it's a good book cover. And if you love the book cover and it does not do that, it's a bad book cover. Ideally, you get both, right? It convinces readers to read it and you like the way that it looks. But ultimately, the book cover is not for the author. It's for the reader. Uh, so this is a con of traditional publishing. You lack control. Another con of traditional publishing is you get zero marketing data. And this is a huge con. Now, I was meeting with some publishers at the ECPA conference and uh, vendors who sell publisher software. And there is now entering the market some technical tools to help mitigate this huge disadvantage that authors face. But when it comes to marketing, really the only way to do marketing effectively is to measure so that you know what is effective and what is not effective. It, it's common sense that you need to know, oh, I did a big promotion on radio in the first week of June. How many books did I sell in the first week of June? As a traditionally published author, you do not get that data. You don't know how many books sold in the first week of June. You only get data aggregated on a six-month basis, typically. So that is not useful when it comes to making marketing decisions. Now, some publishers are um, planning to roll out author portals as these new tools that the publishers have access to allow for that, where their authors will be able to get that marketing data. But as of right now, I don't know of any traditional publishers who give uh, real-time marketing data or really any marketing data to their authors. This is one of the reasons why in fiction, Independent authors have gained so much ground, and all of the growth in ebooks is going to independent authors, uh, especially in fiction, rather than traditional authors, because the fiction authors who are independently published are able to more quickly respond to trends and they're more quickly able to adapt their marketing techniques to what is working right now. And so they're much more nimble because they have the data. If you're independently published, you can see in almost real time, how many books are selling. Like the next day, you have numbers for the previous day's sales. And that is so useful for tuning your marketing. And again, you get to use that Matthew principle yourself. And so you take money away from those activities that weren't working, and not only money, but also time. So you find out, oh my goodness, Facebook marketing doesn't work. Like, Independent authors have known that for a long time, right? The only thing that works on Facebook is advertising. All of those other posting 
type things don't drive the numbers. And indie authors have been able to see that in the numbers and have been able to adapt their marketing. Whereas a lot of traditionally published authors are still posting photos of their books on Facebook thinking it's going to drive sales. And they don't know that it doesn't work because they don't have the data to show them that it doesn't work. Uh, so this is a big con. Hopefully it will go away over the next five years. Some tr- uh, publishers are hesitant to give their uh, author's data so that they can see that things aren't working, right? That's very scary, right? To see that this big PR push and we went on this radio tour and it sold almost no books or this big blog tour sold no books. Like seeing that data is hard and some authors may not want to see that data and publishers don't want to have those awkward conversations. Uh, so this may or may not roll out. And it will be interesting to see that as they have the ability to give people that data, whether or not they choose to give people that data. Another con of traditional publishing is that it is a slow process. If you are wanting to write a book right now and you want to be traditionally published, it's going to be probably two years before that book is available on bookstore shelves. You're going to have to go through the process of writing it. You're going to have to go through the process of putting another book proposal, finding an agent. And then once you sign with a publisher, it's another 18 months, give or take from that point. Some publishers move quickly, some publishers uh, move slowly, but it's a very slow process. For most books, this isn't really a big deal. And if you're a good steward of your time during that time, you can build your platform and prepare a really strong launch. And you know, while being slow is annoying, right? You want to be published now, it actually can be useful. It is a challenge though, especially in fiction, where the trends are changing really rapidly. And there's, you know, micro genres that will pop up and be vibrant for two years and then go away. It's really hard for traditionally published fiction authors to take advantage of those micro genres because the process moves so slowly. Um, But for most books, it's just an annoyance. It's not a huge con. And then uh, the final con of traditional publishing is that you get paid slowly. So typically, uh, well, you... It, it, you kind of get paid slowly. So in a sense, you get paid super fast in that you're paid in advance of book sales. So before your book even comes out, you're paid for the first 5,000 books that sell or first 10,000 books that sell, again, depending on how your contract is negotiated by your agent. Uh, so in that sense, you get paid very fast. But afterwards, your royalties get paid very slowly. You get paid typically, uh, most publishers pay twice a year. So there's a six-month lag um, when it comes to getting paid, which uh, creates a cash flow cycle that's very slow. And, you know, there's reasons for why why this is, and it's just a truism. I don't know of any traditional publishing companies that pay, you know, monthly. Uh, so that's just um, one of the cons to take into effect. With indie publishing, typically you're paid after 60 days and you're paid every month. So each month you get another check uh, or in, uh, instant deposit into your bank account from Amazon, from your sales, from uh, 60 days before that. Uh, so uh, when it comes to if you're paying, let's so let's talk about advertising. We had Chris Fox on last week, and we were talking about advertising books. And I mentioned how advertising isn't really uh, an option for traditional publishers. So there's two reasons why it's not an option. Actually, three reasons why it's not an option. The first is that when you're only making a dollar per book, there's no room in there to afford the ads. So if you're making a dollar per book and each click costs you a dollar, you're, there's no way to make money. You're going to lose money every time. Um, so that's the first disadvantage. The second is that without marketing data, without good marketing data, it's hard to tell if your ads are working or not, uh, which keeps you from being able to advertise 
effectively. And even if those first two things weren't a problem, if you were making more than a dollar book and you had marketing data, the fact that you get paid so slowly creates a negative cash flow cycle. So Chris Fox is able to buy his ads in month two with his money from month one. Or rather, he's paying for his ads in month uh, four with his money from month one. But still, it's it's a faster cycle than you would if it was every uh, six months. And uh, that cash flow cycle makes it very difficult to pay for advertising yourself. That said, going back to the pros of traditional publishing, uh, if you're in that top group of authors, your publisher pays for the ads. You don't pay for it. You don't have to understand how it works. They do it for you. They do it professionally. And they're selling books, you know, bing, bang, boom. And they're doing it all for you, and it's great. So to him who has, more will be given. And to him who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So bottom line, I recommend traditional publishing for authors if their novel has great broad market appeal. If, uh, if this is a novel that's going to reach a lot of people that's going to be popular uh, broadly, the kind of novel that if somebody sees it in the bookstore, a kind of a generic bookstore customer sees the novel, they're like, huh, you know, they're going to want to pull this off the shelf. It's, it's really good for novelists with a strong brand where, um, and you can tell once you become a big name novelist, literally, you can tell by the font size of your name. <laughs> so if you look at a famous author, the font of the name of the author is bigger than the font of the book title because people are bringing, buying the novel based off of the author rather than the title of the book. For beginning authors, uh, it's the other way around, right? No one knows who they are, and so the title tends to be the biggest feature on the book cover because they're trying to draw people in with the appeal of the title. Um, so it's also traditional publishing is also better for general nonfiction, so because paper is so important for nonfiction, traditional publishing is really useful for nonfiction in that it, it, it's a better model for paper. You're able to get placed in physical bookstores, right? Most of the, if you go to a church, most of the books facing the congregants as they walk through the bookstore are nonfiction books, right? There's a, a very strong bias for nonfiction in church bookstores particularly, um, not exclusively, and again, it depends on your church. Every church is different, but uh, t- typically they're very practical books. They're very nonfiction books, and uh, tradi- pu- traditional publishing is uh, really good uh, for nonfiction. It's really good for paper, uh, and it's better if you care more about uh, reaching lots of people. <laughs> so rather than um, ha- you know making money, right? Because the, the number of books, the number of dollars you make per book isn't great. You're going to make a lot more money per book with uh, indie publishing than you will with traditional publishing. So if your goal is broad, uh, traditional publishing is better. If your goal is deep, you might consider indie publishing. Uh, and then it's also better for poor authors. So uh, if you have no money, uh, traditional publishing is really your only option. Uh, because with true traditional publishing, you don't spend money on anything. Now, I we, I have noticed that marketing departments of traditional publishers often try to weasel money out of authors, uh, where they're like, "Oh, we don't have the money for a video trailer, but if you'll pay for a video trailer, and you know, I will be happy to help, you know, get it out there." 
and the video trailer costs $1,500. So some traditional publishers do do that, and I'm not going to name any names, but they often try to get the author to pay for marketing. It doesn't make sense for an author to pay for marketing um, like that, uh, you know, pay for advertising or to pay for video trailers because you don't have the marketing data. You get paid slowly, and the, your cost per book is too low, right? That's supposed to be the job of the publisher. And I understand if I, you know, if I'm the marketing team, if I'm on the marketing team of a big publisher, I'd love to, you know, get the author to pay for things, right? That doesn't have to come out of my budget, but also helps me look good as a marketer, right? I understand why they do that, um, but in general, uh, as an author, you don't pay for anything if you are traditionally published. And so, if if you are broke, if you are poor, uh, traditional publishing is by far the better choice because the publisher brings the capital to the table. Uh, I'm going to do another episode in the future, maybe the next episode, on the pros and cons of independent publishing. So just how we cracked open uh, traditional publishing and looked at it and all of its glory and all of its gritty uh, details and talked very frankly about uh, traditional publishing. We're going to do the same with independent publishing. So stick around. And our featured course uh, is actually our most popular course, so the Christian Writers Institute. And if you think traditional publishing is the way for you, this is a course you really must get. <laughs> and it is How to Craft a Book Proposal. It's our most popular course for a reason. If you want Steve Lobby, the agent, to look fondly at your book proposal, what a better way to do it than to take his course on how to put together a book proposal. But it's not just for reaching the one and only Steve Lobby. It's really for reaching any agent of that caliber. They're looking for excellence in their book proposal, and this course is going to teach you how to do that. It goes through each section of a book proposal, what you should put in those sections, and not only that, but there is bonus content. It comes with sample proposals. You can actually look at what a book proposal looks like. You can copy and paste from those sample proposals. It has a proposal checklist and more. This course is normally $10. It's not very expensive, but if you use coupon code podcast, uh, you save 10% and you help keep this show on the air. So I really appreciate every one of you who've used the coupon code podcast, and I couldn't uh, recommend this course more highly. Uh, It is a perennial seller for the Christian Writers Institute because it is just so practical and helpful. So if you are thinking about traditional publishing, I highly recommend How to Craft a Book Proposal by Steve Lobby, and we will have links that embed the coupon code in the show notes. So do check that out, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.